It is Thursday, July 8th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast for the second day in a row. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Small. This is episode four of our divisional preview series. We hit the NFC South yesterday, which was Wednesday. Now that I'm back from family vacation, we got to double these things up to get back on track. You can find the AFC and NFC West previews wherever you get your podcasts, of course, among many other things that are on DraftSharks.com right now, Jared. Yeah, I posted my uh, stacks article today. Uh, seven stacks, a bunch, you know, that I've been targeting. Um, so, so check that one out. Yeah. And interesting because stacks have been getting talked about on Twitter lately too. people wondering if it's still worthwhile with such a focus at this point on stacking. I don't know. Do you have any changing opinions on that as you, as you think about it? I mean, you, you just can't reach to create stacks. I mean, and people have looked at the actual numbers too. If you're reaching, you know, more than a round past ADP, any benefit you're getting from that stack is just, you know, is just negated by the value that you're losing, uh, you know, by making that reach. Right. I think that's the important takeaway here is don't reach just to make sure you get those stacks, but it's still going to help you, especially in best ball. If you do pair like your quarterback with wide receiver one and and stuff like that. Yeah. And and, you know, it's fun to stack like the Cowboys, but I I think it's the cheap stacks that can really make a difference. And I have a few in my article that are like, you know, you can just get them in the double digit rounds. And if those hit, you know, that's kind of when you're in business. Yeah, make sure you check those out. Today, we are going to stick with the South. We're going to head back to the AFC, where the biggest question mark in the entire division hangs like a dark cloud over this first team that we're going to get to. But we're going to steer away from that for the moment, because every single team also has coaching changes, including the Houston Texans, which is the first one up. David Culley is the new head coach taking over this mess, and I do not envy his first head coaching job in the NFL. He actually spent two years as an offensive coordinator in the past, but it was all the way back at UTEP in 1989 and 1990. That would be University of Texas, El Paso, a little bit ways away from the NFL. He spent the past 27 years as an NFL assistant, primarily coaching wide receivers. 19 of those years, Cully spent with Andy Reid, 15 in Philly, four in Kansas City, most recently worked with the Ravens. The lack of coordinator experience in the NFL certainly doesn't mean that he can't be a good head coach. It does mean that we don't have a whole lot of history on his offensive preferences, though, so we'll have to see that. Tim Kelly, on the other hand, returns as the offensive coordinator in Houston. He spent the past two years in that gig. How much of that was him? How much of that was Bill O'Brien? It's tough to know. Bill O'Brien spent most of that time calling the plays, though. Yeah, it's kind of rare to see a new head coach come in and, and retain the old offensive coordinator. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm yeah I'm not sure how much input Kelly had over the past two years. I'm not sure how much input Kelly's going to have on Kelly's offense now. So lot, lots of questions here, as you alluded to the, to though. You know, the, the biggest question is who's going to be playing quarterback for the Texans. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a minute. Tim Kelly did finish last season calling the plays at least, and back before Deshaun Watson split with Houston and maybe I don't know the NFL in general. He said that he felt comfortable with Tim Kelly running the offense. So we'll see if everything is back in place, then I guess we should expect something similar. Houston was actually 13th in overall offensive DVOA last year. So really probably not as bad as you might think that they were league worst in rushing DVOA, but eighth in passing. Of course, the big question is Deshaun Watson run pass split. It was the league's fourth most pass heavy offense last year. Before that though, six straight years at 58% or more, Uh, I'm sorry, 58% pass or lower. Deshaun Watson up in the air, I think that's going to affect whether they're leaning run or pass. If he's back, I would expect them to be 60-plus percent pass. Otherwise, I think they're probably going to try to go less than that, as much as they can, because I don't think this is going to be a good team. Yeah, so Houston, as you mentioned, you know, pass-heavy offense last season. They were second in situation neutral pass right now. Again, you know, that was with Deshaun Watson. That was with Will Fuller, who's now gone. Um, So, you know, kind of made sense to go in that direction. I I, I think, as you said, they're going to try – to run it more this season, especially if there's no Deshaun Watson. I, I'm just not sure how much they're going to be able to because, you know, th- this this projects, I think, along with Detroit as, you know, the, the worst teams in the NFL. So I still actually have Houston going 61 pass, you know, 61% pass, not, not by design, but just because I think they're going to be trailing so much. Yeah, I mean, I think anything in there is fair because there is so much we don't know about this team yet. Tim Kelly did say in June, quote, I've got to do a good job calling more runs. So he's definitely going to try to to do it more. But as he said, they were among the most pass heavy in the league last year. So there's really almost nowhere to go but down from there. Let's go to the QB notes. And as we mentioned, the big question is, will Deshaun Watson play? And the answer right now is we don't know. I mean, 
There's no criminal charges facing him. So I guess that's a mark in favor of the possibility of him playing, but 22 civil lawsuits against him that allege sexual assault and or misconduct. I mean, even if those sit unresolved and go no further in the legal process by the start of the NFL season, the personal conduct policy in the NFL certainly leaves the door wide open for the league to keep Deshaun Watson off the field if it chooses to while those things are pending. Yeah, I wouldn't expect to see Watson on the field for week one, you know, at, at minimum. I think he's looking at, you know, some type of suspension. I mean, and then, of course, beyond all, all that stuff is the fact that, you know, he had requested a trade from Houston back in January. You know, he, he has had issues with Houston's owner, with Houston's GM. Um, so even if he's cleared to play this season, it might not be with Houston. So I think at this point you should be projecting the Texans, looking at the Texans as if Deshaun Watson won't be there. That's what I would do as well. And ADP and best ball drafts right now says that people aren't expecting Deshaun Watson to play at all. I think that certainly makes sense if you are drafting a team where you don't want to take a zero. That said, I mean, if you can stash Deshaun Watson late in the draft as a third quarterback, uh, there's really only upside from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he, I, I found him tough to pass on like these underdog drafts just because if you know, you're, tr- you're trying to win a million bucks, right. like if you get Deshaun Watson in the 17th round, even if he plays 10 games, you know, regardless of, of who it's for, you know, he's going to return a, a big profit. Yes, I agree with that. Back in Houston, if there is no Watson, I think Tyrod Taylor presents some sneaky late upside. I'm not saying I'm excited about it. I'm not saying he's going to do anything special. He stunk at Cincinnati in his lone start last year with the Chargers before uh, the doctor decided to puncture his lung and give us all Justin Herbert as a present. Two full outings for the 2018 Browns before Baker Mayfield took over. Tyrod finished QB6 against Pittsburgh in week one that season, then QB 24 at New Orleans. Then he got yanked in his third start against the Jets. He spent 2015 to 17 as the starter for the Bills for most of those games, finished 12th, 14th, and 24th in fantasy points per game in those three seasons, top three at the position in rushing yards each of those three years. Yeah, that rushing ability is, you know, what could make him fantasy relevant. And I think he'd be talking like two quarterback super flex leagues. I don't even think he'd be a spot starter in one quarterback league just because the weapons here are so weak. The offensive line is a concern. I I also think too, you know, assuming there's no Deshaun Watson that we're going to see rookie Davis Mills at some point, it would just make sense for Houston to to get him on the field and and see what he can do. So Tyrod would probably start, you know, early on, but I I wouldn't expect him to, to last the whole season. It would make sense for them to try Davis Mills at some point if he's ready. He had 11 starts across three college seasons, so entirely possible Davis Mills is not ready even if they want him to be. Yep. On to running back notes. This team, as I mentioned, was league worst in rushing DVOA in 2020, but don't fear. They brought in Mark Ingram to fix that and Philip Lindsay and Rex Burkhead. What do you got on running backs in Houston? I mean, it's it's just an absolute mess. Um, I don't know how the workloads – I don't know how the carriers are going to be split. I, I think – the one relatively safe bet here is that David Johnson is going to con- continue to handle ma- the majority of the pass catching stuff. You know, he, he's just easily the best and most proven pass catcher among these guys. I mean, you know, Mark Ingram had some decent pass catching seasons with the saints, uh, but nothing special. Philip Lindsay has been well below average in that department. You know, Rex Burkhead is solid, but I just, I don't, I don't know what he, what he has left with you know, at his age and all the injuries he suffered. So I do think Johnson, could you know rack up a decent amount of targets? I'm just I'm still like forcing myself to just avoid this backfield in fantasy drafts. Though. Yeah, I mean Mark Ingram. I was shocked at how quickly Houston jumped on Mark Ingram. He was a healthy scratch in four of Baltimore's last five games last year, including the playoffs. So and Mark Ingram's done. Philip Lindsay has had some good times, but he was also third worst among 47 qualifying backs last year in Football Outsiders rushing metrics, well behind Melvin Gordon performance-wise. And clearly Denver was like, oh, we don't need this guy anymore. Rex Burkhead has been a fantasy thorn ever since he landed in New England, at least. He never gets enough touches to be startable, you know, comfortably, but he always takes enough receiving and enough goal line work just to be a pain and just to make you think, well, maybe I should toss Rex Burkhead into this lineup for a bye week or something. So it, it, it's really just a mess overall. I think David Johnson is still a top bet for touches overall, primarily for the reason that you mentioned, he's the best bet for receptions, but it, it's definitely not an attractive backfield by any means. Yeah. And I would bet against both Ingram and Burkhead being on this final roster. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what the you know, salary cap ramifications are, but I think one of those guys will be cut, which will clear it up a bit. Um, I do think there's a chance Lindsay leads in carries. As you said, he wasn't good last year, but he dealt with a bunch of injuries. He had a toe injury, a hip injury, a knee injury, and a concussion. Um, and, and he was good on the ground in his first two seasons in Denver. Uh, you know, Houston obviously went out, signed him to a, a decent size contract. He's making a little over $3 million this season. But again, I think there's a chance that Lindsay 
beats out David Johnson and carries, but I, I feel pretty confident that, that DJ will be the lead pass catching back here. Yeah, Lindsay has not been good in the passing game, especially in pass protection so far in his career. Pass catcher notes, it's really also impossible to get excited about anything here. Brandon, Brandon Cooks, though, I mean, he has to outperform his wide receiver 42 ADP, doesn't he? He does, just because he he's still good, and he, he really should see massive volume. I mean, without Will Fuller, then we saw Cooks without Fuller over the final four games of last season. He averaged 10.3 targets, 7.3 catches, 108 receiving yards per game over those four. Saw 27% target share in those four games. I think that's kind of about what you project him for this season. So, you know, we have him for a bunch of targets. Obviously, with no Deshaun Watson, the efficiency is going to come way down. But, you know, we know volume trumps all in fantasy football. So, yeah, I, I think um, C- Cooks is definitely undervalued in drafts right now. And we know that Tyrod Taylor does like to throw the ball deep, even if he's not terrific at it. Uh, that that boosts, I think, the upside a bit on Brandon Cooks, at least for maybe a longer A dot. I shouldn't say it boosts his upside versus who else would be a quarterback. But, you know, again, wide receiver 42 ADP is the key here. Cooks finished 17th in total PPR points at the position last year, 18th among wideouts in targets despite missing one game, despite Will Fuller being there for 11 games. So there should be volume, and volume is over everything here. I mean, he probably should get to 140 targets for this team. Yeah, again, it's going to be a bad team that's going to be playing catch up a whole bunch. Elsewhere, Houston drafted Nico Collins in round three. They added Chris Conley, Andre Roberts, Chris Moore, Alex Erickson, uh, Taewon Taylor, Dante Moncrief in free agency. Basically, if you were a crappy wide receiver with no contract this offseason, they were your charity. Yeah, this, this roster is just a joke. And I think it's going to be Nico Collins and Chris Conley battling for that, you know, outside spot that Will Fuller vacates. I, I think, you know, Houston probably wants it to be Conley or, or sorry, wants it to be Collins. You know, they, they took him in the third round, actually traded three picks to move up and draft Nico Collins. There's been some buzz on him early. Um, so he, he's a guy I've even been at least eyeing, you know, late in these best ball drafts because I think, you know, he could finish second on this team in targets. Yeah, worth noting, too, that Chris Conley has some history with David Culley. They were both with the Chiefs back before Culley moved to Baltimore and Conley signed with the Jaguars. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. The other holdovers with Brandon Cooks are Randall Cobb, Kiki Cutie. I mean, if it's Tyrod Taylor, at quarterback, I'm really not interested in anyone here beyond Brandon Cooks. Nope, me either. Darren Fells is gone at tight end. So Jordan Aikens basically uh, should be the lead tight end here. He's also going pretty much undrafted by ADP so far, despite topping the depth chart. Uh, there's upside as a tight end three, but there are also plenty of those types of players. And, you know, who knows for sure if Jordan Aikens is the lead target of tight end for them this season. Right. They have Kahale Waring back. Um, they added Ryan Izzo from New England. They drafted Brevin Jordan. So, you know, it, it's not Aiken's job for sure. He's going to have to beat out those guys in camp. Darren Fells only leaves behind 28 targets. You know, Fuller leaves behind 75. So there's room for more opportunity here. But, you know, I just I just think Aiken's is a, a special player. And, again, it's going to be a bad offense. So, yeah, maybe as a tight end three if you're, you know, going that deep in like FFPC. But definitely not excited about Jordan Aiken's or, or anyone in this tight end group. Right. So who I like, there's no true like in Houston. There's no, you can't look at this team and like anything. Brandon Cooks, David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, I think are values at their draft prices. It's been a while since the last time I drafted David Johnson though. Maybe, maybe looking a little bit too much at, you know, the report here and there that Philip Lindsay could lead this team in carries. Lindsay's probably my highest owned Texan at the moment. I've been taking him in RB five range, but that should probably shift to being more Brandon Cooks than, than Philip Lindsay, I think. Yeah, Cooks is the only guy I like here. Again, you know, going outside the top 40 wide receivers, you're just betting on volume and talent with him, uh, even though, you know, it, it, it might be ugly. The efficiency, again, is definitely going to suffer if Watson isn't there. Um, you know, I, I have been taking late shots on Deshaun Watson and, and Nico Collins, but, you know, just super late guys. Uh, D- David Johnson is the guy who's always, like, sitting atop the MVP board for, like, three rounds. Like, the, the board's telling me to take him. I, I have a few times, but I'm definitely you know, trying to limit my exposure because, again, I, I do think uh, there's a chance Lindsay takes over as the lead ball carrier. Yeah, I've definitely gotten some David Johnson, especially before Philip Lindsay signed with the team. The who I don't side, it's Houston, everybody. I mean, this is not a team I want to overcommit yeah. to uh, anyone unless we do finally find out that Deshaun Watson is coming back. Yeah, I mean, I, I even like more Lions than I do Texans. So this is this is the offense I think I want to invest the least in. Yeah, that's a good way to leave the Houston Texans <laughs> behind. So let's move on to the Indianapolis Colts. Tell me about the relevant coaching changes here. 
Yeah, new offensive coordinator here um, with Nick Sirianni taking the Eagles head coaching job. It's going to be Marcus Brady replacing him. Uh, Brady's been the Colts quarterback coach for the last three years under head coach Frank Reich. He does have six seasons of offensive coordinating experience in the CFL, but none in the NFL. Again, though, Frank Reich is back for his fourth season with the Colts. He has confirmed that he's going to continue calling plays. So you know, despite the OC change, I don't expect to, to, to see you know much change in offensive scheme here. Yeah, that's what I would assume, too. We've got an offensive coach running the team. He's been calling the plays. Should be more of the same. The run-pass split was annoying. Was not annoying. was interesting to look at getting ready for this. The three years of Frank Reich in Indianapolis, they went 62% pass with Andrew Luck the first season. Then, of course, he retired. They went 53.6% pass with Jacoby Brissett as the quarterback. And then last year, 55.5% with Phillip Rivers. What do you have in this category? So I have them at 56%, you know, just a slight bump from what they did with Rivers last year, because I, I expect this to be a good team. And I think it's a team that wants to continue leaning on the run game with that offensive line and with Jonathan Taylor. There, there's a chance though, that they jump up like back up to 60 ish percent. Um, like, you know, kind of like they were with Andrew Luck. If, you know, Carson Wentz bounces back and is the guy he was, you know, for, you know, from 2017 to 2019 under Frank Reich. Yeah, I'm with you. I had 57-43. That's what the average is if you look at the first three years of Frank Wright calling the plays in Indy. So I think that's a fair spot. It's basically the same split that you have. QB notes, you already started talking about him. Carson Wentz, they traded a third-round pick in this past draft for him, plus a conditional pick, a conditional second-rounder in 2022. That one would become a first-round pick if Wentz plays at least 75% of the snaps for the Colts this season or 70% of the snaps and they make the playoffs. So it seems like they're making a decent sized bet that Carson Wentz can rebound this season. Yeah. And if you look at his career, I mean, last year was obviously ugly, but you know, that, that that's kind of the outlier. He, he was a much better quarterback for his first four seasons. The uh, first two of those coming up under Frank Reich in Philly, you know, Wentz didn't really hit the fantasy radar as a rookie. He finished 24th among quarterbacks and fantasy points. But the following three years, 2017, 18, and 19, he, he he was a quarterback one. He was third among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game in 2017. He was 12th in 2018 and quarterback eight in 2019. So there's you know, and he, you know, he's not even 30 years old yet. So there's there's bounce back potential here again in an offense that he's familiar with. Yeah, and clearly the Colts believe that that is the case. There's decent talent. I don't want to oversell the pass catching talent in Indy, but there's decent talent on board and with some upside among the young guys. And most importantly, Carson Wentz is QB 19 and ADP, so you're not making an overly risky bet that he rebounds. It's really just kind of in a range where if you're volume drafting, you're probably taking a bunch of different guys, but it's certainly possible that Carson Wentz stands out by season's end as a value in that range. Yeah, the other big thing working in his favor is just the, the O-line he's going to be playing behind here because the you know, Eagles O-line struggled mightily last year, and Wentz struggled under pressure. He was 32nd among 35 qualifying quarterbacks in PFF passing grade when under pressure last year. And Abby is going to be playing behind this Colts O-line. They returned four or five starters from last year, and last year they ranked seventh in both PFF pass blocking grade and football outsiders adjusted sack rate. So, you know, Wentz's job should be easier this season. Um, I, I think the downside is, again, that we, ex- we expect this to be a run-leaning offense, which is going to hurt Wentz's volume. But again, if they if, if they do, you know, bump up to 59, 60% pass, that's when I think, you know, you could see Wentz finish as a top 12 quarterback. Uh, I hope, even as an Eagles fan, I hope he rebounds in Indianapolis. Last year was tough to watch, but I, I, don't, I don't blame Carson Wentz totally for it. Running back notes, Jonathan Taylor was the third best back in fantasy football from week 11 on last season, trailed only Derrick Henry and David Montgomery in fantasy points over that span. There was definitely some luck involved. Eight touchdowns over his final five games. Five of the final six defenses he faced ranked 18th or worse in Football Outsiders' run DVOA. The Colts were also winning over that span, so that helped boost his carry total for the season. The issues, I think, Taylor ranked 29th among running backs and targets, and through those first 10 games, he really wasn't very good. It wasn't like he was plugging along, doing all right, and then jumped up over the final six. Yeah, and that latter point isn't so much of a concern for me because I, you know, I thought this guy was an elite prospect coming out. And, you know, what, for whatever reason, he got off to a slow start. But you know, he looked like Jonathan Taylor to me over the second half. So I, I expect him to have a big season on the ground. Again, you're know, running behind one of the better offensive lines in the league. The, the issue is definitely the, his passing game role. Um, you know, even in that hot stretch to close the season, he averaged only 2.7 targets per game over that stretch. That, that's a full season pace of 43 targets, would have ranked 27th among running backs. Now, Taylor was actually pretty good 
in the passing game last year. He was ninth in yards per route run, 11th in PFF receiving grade among 37 qualifying running backs. But the problem is Naheem Hines is back, and Hines beat Taylor in both of those metrics. He was, I believe he was actually number one among running backs in PFF receiving grade. So I just don't see a reason for the Colts to go away from Hines as, you know, the primary pass catching back. So, um, you know, target volume is the concern for Taylor, especially considering he's going, you know, in the middle of the first round of fantasy drafts. Yeah, Naheem Hines matched or exceeded Jonathan Taylor in targets in 13 of their 16 shared games last year, including the playoffs. Overall, 13.8% target share for Hines, 7.1% for Taylor, so nearly doubled him in that category. Hines only reached 10 carries once in games he shared with Taylor, so obviously that's the limitation on him, but I agree. He's going to continue limiting that target upside, and that's what really bothers me with Jonathan Taylor, where he's going. Cam Akers looks like a better bet for overall touches than Taylor. I think Joe Mixon looks like a better bet for touches. So, I mean, when you have those two in mind, it's tough for me to get excited about Jonathan Taylor, where you have to pay for him in round one. I think one other positive working in his favor, the Colts carry Vegas's eighth highest projected win total. Now, that doesn't mean that they're a top eight team heading into the league, and it certainly could be a team that Vegas is wrong on, especially if Carson Wentz does not rebound this year. Um, But, you know, that's a positive for the carry outlook. I'll consider Jonathan Taylor near the end of round one, but honestly, if it gets to that point, he's still on the board. I'm probably taking a wide receiver over him. Yeah, I haven't drafted JT once yet, and I'm I'm not sure I will. I mean, Zeke, I'm taking over him easily. I'm taking Austin Eckler over Jonathan Taylor in full PPR. JT for me is in the same tier as the guys like Cam Akers, Joe Mixon. You mentioned Nick Chubb. I think he is you know very similar as far as talent and, and role goes. So yeah, he's just going too early for me. Um, Again, he unless you think they're just going to phase out Hines, you know that, that's kind of where, where Taylor would would um you know pay off that price tag. I, I don't expect that to happen though. Yeah, I don't see any reason to expect them to do so. Hines, on the other hand, a lot of not even the other hand, it might be the same hand because Hines, I don't think is all that attractive as a fantasy option either. We know the receiving um, involvement is there. Obviously, if Taylor were to go down, Hines would pick up some carries. But I mean, last year he had a top twenty-four. PPR score in half of his games, which is a decent number for the kind of back he is, but 25 running backs beat that rate, four others tied it. So it's nothing special, even in terms of a week to week upside kind of thing. I mean, Naheem Hines just doesn't excite me where I draft him. No, he's he's not a guy I would draft in lineup setting leagues. I think he's okay as like an you know RB4 in full PPR best ball because you know he, he he'll give you some games. It's, it's always hard to to know when they're gonna come, but he'll have some four or five catch games this season. Um, yeah, one other note I had on these these Colts running backs and their pass catching projections is, you know, Philip Rivers really, for most of his career, has targeted running backs at an above average rate, whereas Carson Wentz has tended to be, you know, below average. Now, I, I think a lot of that is just which running backs you have at your disposal. You know, Philip Rivers played with Austin Eckler. You played with Darren Sproles. You know, he, he's had good pass catching backs. I, I'm not sure the target share of running backs is going to drop off a, a ton, but I think it might drop off some just, you know, uh, because of the change at quarterback. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the two different styles, Philip Rivers is much more likely to check down and try to get the ball to somebody who can actually escape. Whereas Carson Wentz clearly believes in his ability to scramble away from trouble and likes to take shots downfield and get those, um, you know, high leverage passing plays. So, you know, it's one of those things you don't want to overrate, but also don't ignore it. It's definitely a move down in terms of uh, receiving outlook for running backs to go from Philip Rivers to Carson Wentz. Yeah, we should also just mention Marlon Mack here, you know, who who is back coming off the torn Achilles. That's a tough injury to return from. You know, I'm I'm not interested in drafting him in fantasy, but I mean, there, there's a chance he cuts into to Jonathan Taylor's workload at least a bit and is just kind of annoying. Yeah. If I didn't if there was nothing else that I disliked about Jonathan Taylor, I would not skip him just because Marlon Mack is back. Um, but since that's the case, it is like, well, well, Marlon Mack's probably gonna get some carries. Pass catcher notes, this is an interesting group, and it's more interesting because all of their price tags are suppressed. I mean, Michael Pittman leads Colts wideouts in ADP, and he's only a wide receiver 48. So you're not betting too heavily by taking shots on any of these guys. No Colts receiver cracked the top 50 in PPR points per game last season. However, Pittman reached five catches just three times. So you would have liked to see more out of him in his rookie season, but he also missed a large chunk of games right in the middle of it and actually starting early in the season. So kind of impressive that he was at all productive as a rookie given that. Yeah. He had that uh, compartment syndrome in his calf in September. That's an injury. Like I remember Hakeem Nix had it and it, you know, he was kind of never the same player after having that injury. I think even Tyler Lockett had it a couple years ago, didn't he? Pittman needed surgery for that. Um, he missed three games 
and then just, you know, sort of didn't do a whole lot until, until the playoffs. I mean, he had that game against the bills, that playoff loss to the bills, 10 targets, five catches, 90 yards. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of how he headed into the off season. So maybe some momentum there, you know, he's a guy the Colts took early in the second round two years ago, actually took uh, Michael Pittman ahead of Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, there, there were some videos, the, the front office and coaching staff was obviously pumped when they landed Pittman. So I, you know, I think, there's definitely a path there for him to emerge as uh, Indy's number one wide receiver this season. I agree with that. We weren't in love with him as a prospect coming in. We'll see how much that carries over into year two. It's also worth noting he didn't fare particularly well in the advanced metrics. T.Y. Hilton outperformed him by those measures, looking at PFF, looking at football outsiders type stuff. And then the Colts re-signed T.Y. Hilton this offseason for $8 million on a one-year contract. He did flirt with other teams, most notably the Ravens, it seemed like. Uh, again, he he outperformed Pittman in those categories, also including um, passer rating on balls thrown his way. He's going about three rounds behind Pittman. So, I mean, if we're talking Michael Pittman versus T.Y. Hilton, it's tough for me to say that Pittman's a better pick than T.Y. Hilton right now. Yeah, that, that's that's fair because of the ADP discrepancy. Um, the, the, the contract you mentioned for Hilton surprised me. Um, f- you know, fully guaranteed eight million this season it actually makes him the 14th highest paid wide receiver in, in 2021. Um, you know, Hilton was, you know, pretty much like, like off the fantasy radar for most of last season. And then he got hot down the stretch, um, you know, averaged 72 and a half yards on four and a half catches over his final six games. You know, he, like Jonathan Taylor, benefited from an easy schedule down the stretch. Uh, five of those final six games came against bottom 12 wide receiver defenses. You know, Hilton's had his injury issues. He turns 32 in uh, this coming November. So you know, I have some concerns there, but again, he, he's so cheap in fantasy drafts. So I think he's definitely a guy worth taking some shots on. And I think the concern, even if you're not worried that he's specifically going to miss games, injury issues for an older guy who has been a speed receiver, I think is worth being concerned about. Even if T.Y. Hilton holds up for the season, he's probably lost a step from the earlier career version of himself. Doesn't mean he's going to crash, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on, especially in season um, as we're deciding whether to trade guys and what else we need on our roster. Paris Campbell is the next guy we're talking about here. He's going another two and a half rounds behind T.Y. Hilton. So again, going at a range where you don't really have to say, I'm in on Paris Campbell this year. You can just be like, "I'll, I'll see what happens. GM Chris Ballard over the winter said, quote, I still believe in Paris Campbell. The athletic Zach Kiefer says, quote, Frank Reich has big plans for him. I'm not specifically high on Paris Campbell just because I'm not sure I see the path to enough targets to make him a consistent fantasy threat. But round 1680p leaves basically no risk regardless of format. Yeah, decent flyer at that price. I mean, we just haven't seen much of Paris Campbell because of injuries over the past years. He's played in only nine games over the last two years, you know, he, he's, he's flashed in that limited action. He has three games of uh, five plus catches among those nine. He has six carries in those nine games. So, you know, it seems like the Colts have wanted to get the ball in his hands. Um, you know, he was a second round pick. He ran the four, three 40, uh, 99th percentile spark guy. Um, so some intrigue here again, he's just like completely unproven. We haven't seen any of them. Yeah, he's like a tiny version of Debo Samuel. Yeah. <laughs> Faster even. There you go. Whatever a fragile, faster Debo Samuel is, that's Paris Campbell here. I don't know whether to be excited about that or to not talk about it at all. All Tight end is a bit crowded as well. The whole group is worth noting because last year, collectively, Colts tight ends ranked 11th in PPR points, 9th in non-PPR. No individual Colts tight end, though, ranked higher than 26th in points per game. Trey Burton led that group. He's dangling on the open market right now, no contract from anybody. So it leaves behind the question of who is the top guy in his absence. I mean, this still remains an obvious candidate should Zach Ertz's asking price become lower from the Eagles or whether the Eagles finally just decide to cut him loose and let him be a free agent. Yeah, it's definitely a situation to pay attention to. Um, you know, Frank Reich's offenses have always targeted tight ends at an above average rate. That's remained the case with the Colts. Um, Colts tight ends have accounted for 26, 26, and then 22% of the team's targets in Reich's three seasons. You know, the, the league-wide average is, is a 20% target share for tight ends. And Trey Burton, as you mentioned, he, he leaves behind 47 targets. So there's opportunity here. I'd love to see Mo Ali cox get a chance to be the guy. Um, you know, he, he was – one of the more efficient tight ends in the NFL on limited action. So I just 39 targets last year, but he ranked second in yards per target among 44 qualifying tight ends. He was fourth in yards per route run. The, the Colts too gave him a second round restricted free agent tender. So, you know, they, they made a pretty aggressive move to make sure that they didn't lose Mo Alley Cox, but you know, they still returned Jack Doyle. They drafted Kylan Granson in the fourth round. So I, I'm just not sure they're going to give 
Mo Ali Cox the opportunity to be, to be that guy. If they do, though, I think you know he's definitely someone that, that could hit the fantasy radar. Yeah, this isn't a situation to make big bets on, but it's a situation that could pay off by making small bets, I think. Kylan Granson generated some immediate buzz after arriving as a fourth-round pick. Sometimes those guys, though, disappear once we get to the rookie season. I mean, especially at tight end, we've seen it takes a while to get it down. So they can be excited about Kylan Granson and still have him do absolutely nothing for 2021. Jack Doyle sank all the way to eighth on the team in targets last year. He missed, I think he only missed two games. So it's not like injury knocked him out of the way. He was third among Colts tight ends and targets with Trey Burton and Mo Ali Cox there. I agree that Mo Ali Cox is the one to bet on here. I think he's an easy bet as a tight end three at best ball time, but I also think he's the kind of guy worth stashing on a lineup setting roster because there's a chance that, you know, even if they don't go all in on one tight end as the lead guy and go with two guys, we've seen Indy work out before where there's tight end value for two players or, you know, at least one that can start more often than not for us among those guys. And Mo Ali Cox is the upside athlete. He's that, that prototype that, that all the teams started looking for after Antonio Gates hit where he used to play college basketball, then switched over to football, really hasn't been focused on football for all that long still. So from the point where you're taking him, there's really nothing but upside. And there definitely is upside to Mo Ali Cox. Yeah, Alec Cox is a freaking monster. I think he's like six eight, but he looks like he's like seven two when he's on the football field. Um, so he, he's he's been like one of my favorite super late round tight end dart throws. You know, I would, like I would definitely take Mo Alec Cox over Jordan Aikens late. Kylan Granson is definitely a guy I'd look to stash in dynasty. You know, he, he was actually a wide receiver at Rice before transferring to SMU and then playing tight end for two seasons there. So you know, he's definitely that you know catch first tight end. Um, so stash in dynasty, but I don't expect him to you know make a big impact this season. And everybody's a wide receiver at Rice. I don't think Big 12 <laughs> believes in actual tight ends. Nice. Who are you liking the most besides Mo Ali Cox here? Anybody? Um, so it's the three receivers um, at cost. You know, Michael Pittman, wide receiver 48, I believe you said. And, you know, I have T.Y. Hilton, you know, wide receiver 60. Paris Campbell, wide receiver 64. You know, it, it's it, it's a messy situation. You know, we don't know exactly how it's going to work out. But I think at least one of those guys and probably two of them are going to, you know, outperform that ADP. Yeah, the passing game here, too. I realized in prepping for this show that I probably haven't gotten enough Colts passing game pieces in my best ball draft so far. So I'm going to go ahead and try to add more of those. The who I don't side, I'm not going to crush you if you're drafting Jonathan Taylor in round one, but he's not for me there because not because I don't think that he's an upside player. I absolutely do. And you mentioned before, we talked about him a lot as a prospect heading into last season. But at the range where you have to buy him now, I just think that the downside risk outweighs the possibility that he really booms this season. I don't think that either he or the Colts are going to be good enough where Jonathan Taylor has like a 15 touchdown season this year, or even, you know, catches 45 balls and just kind of hits the ceiling in all the areas where he needs to, to boom from a late first round spot. Yep. Love the player. Just can't take him over. You know, guys like Zeke, who we know is going to play a big role in the running and passing game. Again, even someone like Austin Eckler, who I think is a good bet for 80 plus targets. Um, you know, I think JT is just more likely to disappoint, especially even on a weekly basis. Like, you know, when game flow is working against him, he's just more likely to disappoint than someone like Zeke or Eckler, even, you know, uh, Joe Mixon, who's going to do more in the passing game this year. Yeah. And even Cam Akers, who if I am looking at them as players, I like Jonathan Taylor better as a player, but yeah. Cam Akers is the, I think the better bet to reach any of those ceiling points to get, um, he's at least as good a bet for carries. I think he's a better bet for hitting a touchdown ceiling in the Rams offense this year. And I think he's a better bet for really booming his um, receiving usage this season. Yeah. And, and not to get too far in Akers. I mean, he, he's still unproven in the passing game, but he definitely has a clearer path to right. become you know, the Rams clear lead pass catching back than, than Jonathan Taylor does. Jacksonville Jaguars, another team that replaced its head coach. Urban Meyer takes over after 17 years as a head coach at the college level out of football the past two years, 2019, 2020. I know he cited heart issues in stepping away. Not sure going to the NFL is the best remedy for that, but we'll see how it works out for him. His college teams averaged 42% pass, 58% run. That's obviously not a split that you're going to replicate in the NFL, but you know, at least speaks to him liking to run the ball. The offensive coordinator is Daryl Bevel, who we have seen in the NFL for a lot of years, 14 previous seasons as an NFL coordinator, most recently for the Lions the past two years. Overall, Bevel has leaned pass, I'm sorry, has leaned run 54-46 average pass run split over his entire time as an OC. The past four offenses, though, have all been over 59% pass. Yeah, you know, to me, just looking at these guys, I think Meyer and Bevel both 
tend to just lean towards the run. And, you know, they obviously return James Robinson. They draft Travis Etienne. They they uh, sign Carlos Hyde. So it, it, it seems like they want to be a run-leading offense. You know, you have a rookie quarterback, even though it's a guy that, you know, we think is awesome and is NFL ready. I um, mean, you know, they might want to protect Trevor Lawrence a bit. So I do think they're going to try to, you know, be a run-leading offense. I also don't know how good Jacksonville is going to be. So I don't think they're going to be, you know, super run-heavy. Yes, I agree with both of those things. I think they would like to run more to help that rookie quarterback. And they added the running backs that you mentioned. I also don't think they're going to be very good overall. So I landed in the range of 57, 58% pass for projecting this team. Yeah, I got him at 58%. QB notes, Trevor Lawrence is that guy that they drafted first overall, near universally heralded as one of the safest QB prospects ever. So Tough to argue against that when all the draft Knicks seem to think so. Tremendous three seasons at Clemson. Played 40 games there, so you love the experience that he comes with. Good accuracy, um, strong arm, willingness to throw the ball deep, and an, a deft runner. I mean, not the biggest running quarterback even in this class of rookies, but active and willing, especially near the goal line. I would not be surprised to see Trevor Lawrence put up like five-plus rushing touchdowns a season. Yep, definitely going to add value with his legs, um, you know, Seems NFL ready as a passer was especially good throwing deep at Clemson, which you, you you like the fit with DJ Chark and Marvin Jones, two guys who can win downfield. You have LaVisca Chenault, who's more of the, you know, short range run after catch guy. They add Travis Etienne, who should be really good in the passing game. So you know, the, the weapons are there for Trevor Lawrence, that the rushing ability is there for Trevor Lawrence. Um, so, I, you know, he has he has a chance to, you know, score as a quarterback one this season. Yeah, of course, he's not going to sneak up on anybody because he's been a star since he was in high school. Not he, He's QB 14 in ADP right now, so it's not a screaming value, but I do think he still provides some upside from that spot. I would take Trevor Lawrence straight up over Joe Burrow among the guys currently going ahead of him. It's not crazy. I think I think if Burrow's healthy, I'd rather have him. You know, he has the knee concern, obviously. You know, the, the reason I like Lawrence, um, you know, especially in these basketball drafts, is because those three wide receivers I mentioned are – I think relatively strong value. So you, you just have good stacking options with Lawrence. And again, you don't, you don't need to reach on any of those guys, Chark, Chanel or, Mar- or Marvin Jones, because they're, they're fine values. And if you miss out on Chark, you know, target Lewis Chanel and miss out on Chanel, target Marvin Jones. So I, I like um, stacking the, the Jags passing game. And even if you don't get any of those Jaguars receivers, you still get a quarterback who has the legs, who has the arm, who has those receivers that you like. So you can get scores from them even if you don't stack them with the receivers. Let's go ahead and jump to the pass catchers since you mentioned those guys. I wonder if DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, Marvin Jones are headed for kind of a Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown type of split in targets here. I'm definitely not comparing the level of talent on these guys versus those guys in Tampa Bay, where at least two of them are way more proven and Chris Godwin's getting pretty close to it. But it's the kind of group where I can't safely say exactly how the the target pecking order is going to shake out. Yeah, that that's fair. Um, I, I'd say two things. The, the nice thing, unlike the Tampa guys, at least like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you don't need to spend you know fourth or fifth round picks on these drags receivers. You can get them in the you know eighth, ninth, tenth round for Chanel and DJ Chark, and you know Marvin Jones is available in like round twelve or whatever. Um, the, the other thing that's nice here is Jacksonville has nothing at tight end. You know, Tebow is not going to be a thing if you're wondering. Um, so you know you could see these three Jags receivers combined for like sixty percent of of Jacksonville's targets. I thought he was going to be left-handed Taysom Hill this year. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Back to the wide receivers. I think obviously the biggest mark in their favor is that QB got a whole lot better when they drafted Trevor Lawrence. It was a mess last year, you know, specifically looking at Chark and Chenault, who were mired in the mess that was there. Gardner Minshew, Mike Glennon, Jake Luton all started games for that team. I would still like to see Gardner Minshew get another shot somewhere else, but that's kind of beside the point for this discussion. New coaching staff plus the arrival of Marvin Jones kind of hits a reset on roles for everybody. It's been Chenault drawing the early buzz though. Um, And interesting to look at his fit versus the other two last year, 6.2 yard average depth of target versus 14 for DJ Chark. So drastically different roles between those two. And I think even springing forward to this year, Chenault looks like he fits nicely in the type of role that Curtis Samuel played for the Panthers last year between uh, DJ Chark, Marvin Jones, who are, you know, pretty strictly outside wideouts. And I'm not even sure what Jacksonville's new coaching staff thought of LaVisca Chenault because, um, you know, Urban Meyer came out and said that he was hoping to get Kadarius Toney in the first round of the draft who, you know, to me would have looked like a LaVisca Chenault replacement. So 
but that, but then, as you said, you know, Chanel was one of the, the buzziest players in the entire NFL this spring. So I think he obviously impressed the coaching staff, you know, maybe changed their minds. So I'm excited about Chanel. He's a guy I liked coming out of Colorado. The, the, real, the concern was, was durability. And that, and that still is my concern with him. Uh, but, you know, he actually uh, led Jacksonville's wide receivers in yards per route run last season, you know, beat DJ Chark as a rookie, you know, Chanel was. So, um, you know, he, it's kind of my, my favorite among these three at ADP. But again, I, I, I like them all at cost. And I mentioned Curtis Samuel, but maybe Jarvis Landry is the outlook that we want here because I think LaVisca Chenault is the best bet to be efficient in terms of catch rate and yards per route run in this offense. So it's a question of how many targets he gets. But as you mentioned with the prices, not going too high to just make a bet and then see what happens on him. We'll see exactly how things shake out here. And let's circle back to the running backs now because Travis Etienne factors into this picture as well. After not getting Kadarius Tony, they did draft Travis Etienne. They've talked about him as a slash type player. He has already spent some time working with the receivers. You know, we'll see exactly what his role looks like. Uh, but there's certainly room for Travis Etienne to fit, even if James Robinson remains a thing for the Jaguars. Yeah, there's been a lot, you know, said by Urban Meyer and, you know, written about ETN, you know, practicing at wide receiver. It, you know, Meyer, though, basically said that, like, they know ETN is a great runner. You know, they, they just wanted to, you know, get him work as a pass catcher in the spring. So I don't think he's going to be a slot receiver. I think he's going to be, you know, Alvin Kamara all along has been sort of my comp for ETN's usage. You're not saying he's as good a player. He might be. Um, but just as far as usage, you know, 10, 12 carries per game, you know, four or five targets per game. I think that that's the role ETN should have. And, you know, hopefully that's the role that the Jags are planning for him. Yeah. Travis ETN wasn't even a, a high volume receiver until his final two seasons at, at Clemson and most of all his final season there. And even then it's not like he was running downfield routes. I mean, he was less of a downfield receiver than Najee Harris was for Alabama uh, looking at their two seasons. So it's, it's a situation to be aware of with the working with receivers and what Urban Meyer said about him right after the draft, but it's definitely not something to overrate and think that they're looking at Travis Etienne as Percy Harvin, as has been tossed around. So the question obviously becomes Travis Etienne, James Robinson, who leads this team and carries. It, it seems like the Jaguars are planning for Robinson to be the leader there. He was good last year, not stellar if you look beyond the counting stats and into the efficiency and advanced metrics. Yeah, exactly. He was fine, you know, kind of proved he can handle a big workload, which is nice. Um, we just we don't know what this new Jacks coaching staff really thinks about James Robinson. Again, you know, the fact that they spent a first round pick on ETN and also signed Carlos Hyde, who, you know, Meyer has experience with from their time at Ohio State. You know, that makes me wonder a bit, you know, what their plans are, what they think about James Robinson. But really, I mean, Robinson, you can get in like the eighth or ninth round, even ETN like slips into the fifth round at times right now. And this situation's murky, but I mean, you know, sometimes murky situations mean, you know, we can, you know, get value there. So I, I think both guys are fine at ADP right now. Yes. I agree on both guys being fine. Even when, as we look forward to lineup setting, however, I do think that we shouldn't sleep on the arrival of Carlos Hyde. The Jaguars gave him just a little bit less than the Falcons gave Mike Davis in free agency. Hyde said that he knew as soon as Urban Meyer landed in Jacksonville that that was the only place he wanted to go play. Clearly still feels a connection to his college coach. Was solid in Seattle last season, so it's not like we're talking about a totally past his prime useless running back. We're not, this isn't Mark Ingram. I think Carlos Hyde is going to play a role here. That certainly makes me less interested in James Robinson anywhere really within the single digit rounds. I think at this point, Robinson basically looks like Ronald Jones, but in a worse offense and with less physical ability. Yeah, I guess I'm not as worried about Hyde as you are. I think he's just kind of there as depth and as like, you know, kind of veteran presence in a young running back room. We'll, we'll see though. I mean, again, I, I'm a bit worried about this coaching staff in general, just, you know, that kind of the moves they've made so far, you know, all the stuff with ETN, adding Carlos Hyde, adding Tim Tebow. Like, I'm not sure this Urban Meyer, Daryl Bevel led offense is one I want to, you know, be, be too, too heavily invested in. Yes, I definitely do not want to invest too heavily in here. But who do you like among Jaguars? Yeah, again, mostly the wide receivers. So, you know, ADP, I have DJ Chark at wide receiver 32, LaVisca Chenault wide receiver 36. Marvin Jones at wide receiver 56 might actually be the best value among those guys. You know, we didn't talk much about him, but he's remained effective, you know, the past couple of years in Detroit and he played under Daryl, Daryl Bevel in Detroit. So he has you know more experience in this offense than uh, DJ Chark or LaVisca Chenault. Yes. I especially would like Marvin Jones in a best ball format because he's, I think he's going to be the most volatile. I expect him to be third in targets among these guys. If they're all healthy, you know, 
that could not be the case, but he has never been a target hog at any point for any team, even with Daryl Bevel there. So uh, Marvin Jones, I would be less interested in once I'm setting these lineups, but I agree that they're all solid values where they're going. I th- I'd say my favorite among them at the moment is LaVisca Chenault, especially once we turn to lineups that we're going to have to set week to week going forward. Cause even if we get, you know, five catches for 50 to 60 yards a week from Chenault as an average, as kind of the, the floor for him. That's a fine starting point for me in a PPR league. Yeah, that's fair. And then on the dislike side for me, I mean, I don't think anyone is like egregiously mispriced. Um, I think, you know, Trevor Lawrence and the running backs are just sort of fairly priced. I haven't drafted a ton of them, um, you know, more ETN than James Robinson, but even Robinson, someone I, I think I want to start getting some more pieces of. We, we've had some, um, discussions on him in the in the new discord and i'm sort of warming up to the idea that you know maybe he gets 200 carries this season and you know as an eighth ninth round pick he could pay off yeah i I think i'll let somebody else do that in the range where i can take players such as zach moss um maybe damian harris although i'm not excited about him either so just not a whole lot that stands out to to me with robinson i think it would need a, a travis Etienne or carlos hyde injury to really um give him a whole lot of upside basically the the running backs i'm not taking them unless they really fall beyond ADP at this point. The one I would be most interested in is ETN because I think he's the one that has that true ceiling potential. Yeah. When ETN gets to the fifth round, I start to get interested because, you know, he, yes. he's a first round running back. You know, we think he could play a big role in the passing game. They're, they're, you know, he, he definitely has a path to, you know, return like second or third round value this season. And even if they start the season with this plan to make James Robinson, the lead ball carrier and Travis ETN, the, you know, jacked up Naheem Hines, it could be by week six. They're like, listen, we got to give the ball to Travis Etienne more because this is ridiculous. Yes. Agreed. Tennessee Titans. Tell me about relevant coaching changes on this front. Yeah. Change at offensive coordinator in Tennessee. And we, we talked about it yesterday in the NFC South pod, um, Arthur Smith becoming Falcons head coach. You know, he was the uh, Titans offensive coordinator the past two seasons and, and Tennessee, you know, it was one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL under Arthur Smith. They finished, sixth and fourth in offensive DVOA those two seasons. They were fourth in yards per play last year. So the, the loss of Smith is definitely a concern here. He's going to be replaced by Todd Downing, who you know worked under Smith the past two seasons as Tennessee's tight end coach. He does have one season of NFL experience, came with the Raiders back in 2017. That offense was not great. They finished 17th in total yards, 23rd in points scored. Um, they were a run-leaning offense. They ranked 22nd in situation neutral pass rate that season. They were also uh, slow. They, they finished 30th in situation neutral pace. So I, I definitely have concerns here um, going from Arthur Smith to Todd Downing. The last OC in Tennessee before Arthur Smith was Matt LaFleur, went on to the Green Bay head job. Arthur Smith moved up from tight ends coach to OC, then the Falcons job. Todd Downing last year was the tight ends coach for Tennessee. So, I mean, if you're looking to vault your NFL coaching career, try to become the tight ends coach in Tennessee. It's the path to success. Uh, Todd Downing, you know, makes that same jump. I don't think we can expect the offense to stay at the same level, but they also have plenty of pieces for us to not worry too much about it. I mean, I'm at a will see level, but they've still got Derrick Henry. They've still got Ryan Tannehill. They've still got AJ Brown. And now they added Julio Jones. So I'm certainly not going to expect a big fall off here. I would hope looking at kind of the run-pass split, I would hope that trading for Julio Jones means that you're planning to pass the ball more, but they were 50-50 last year, uh, run-pass, third most run-heavy league, and that's at a level that's going to lead the league in run-heaviness most seasons. So there's almost nowhere to go but up from there. So even if they are leaning more pass, it's still not going to be a pass-friendly offense, I wouldn't expect. Right, as you mentioned, 49.5% pass last year. They were 53.1% pass in 2019. I actually projected them at 53.5% pass this season. Again, just just you know because you add Julio Jones to the mix. Yeah, I've got 56.44. I think that, again, if you trade for Julio Jones and you have A.J. Brown, I just think it behooves you to not run the ball quite so much. But we have already seen Todd Downing say, Obviously, Derek Derek Henry is at the center of what we do. So, you know, right. we'll see. Anywhere in that range, I think, makes plenty of sense. Yeah, man. I think I think that the point is that they're very likely to to throw up more this year than they did last year. Yes. And also very likely to throw it less than most other teams in the league. QB notes, whoever does throw the ball, it's gonna be Ryan Tannehill. Uh, what do you think about Tannehill heading into this season? Yeah, I was completely off Tannehill before the Julio Jones trade because, again, you you lose Arthur Smith, you lose Corey Davis, you lose Jonu Smith. You know, it, it was really just AJ Brown at that point. Um, you know, adding Julio Jones 
obviously huge. So, you know, Tannehill back in like borderline quarterback one range for me, that, that concern I have is on the, you know, TD regression front. Um, you know, he had a 6.9% passing touchdown rate last year, which is, you know, well above average, the average over the past three seasons is 4.7%. So, you know, some, some chance for passing touchdown regression, Rushing touchdown regression definitely coming. Tannehill scored on seven of his 43 carries last year, a 16% rushing touchdown rate. Uh, you know, just compare that to his first seven seasons in the NFL. He scored on 3.4% of his carries. You know, I, I think you expect him to score you know, two or three times on the ground this season, not seven, which you know is a, a pretty big deal. Yes, only Lamar Jackson over the past two seasons has had a higher passing touchdown rate. Uh, fifth most rushing touchdowns among all quarterbacks in that time for Ryan Tannehill. And that's even with only starting 10 games in 2019, led all quarterbacks in yards per pass attempt over the past two years as well, though. So he has been overly efficient in his two years as the Titans quarterback. I would assume that his efficiency is going to remain high because he's got AJ Brown and Julio Jones as his two receivers. And I mean, there aren't many offenses in the league that are going to match or even come close to that level of talent, but there is certainly room for him to come down some, you know, that all said QB 11 ADP right now, I think it's a fair price for Ryan Tannehill. We've seen over the past two years that he does have upside beyond that level. Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, you know, I, I prefer like Tom Brady and Matt Stafford straight up and they're kind of going in the same area. So I, I honestly haven't drafted a ton of Tannehill. I think Matthew Stafford versus Ryan Tannehill is pretty even and Tannehill is the better runner between them. For sure. We'll see if there's a big gap in passing volume between them. However, that could certainly be another differentiator. Um, but, you know, in a range where I think he's fairly priced. So let's skip to the pass catchers because we're talking about that passing game because we know the running game more at this point. Is Julio Jones about to be the number two wide receiver on his team for the first time since 2012? It sure looks like it. Yeah, I think he is. I'm not sure the target discrepancy, you know, when Julio's healthy will be, will be big. I do expect Brown to lead the way. I mean, this is another case where, you know, these these two guys should combine for like half of, of Tennessee's targets when they're on the field. Julio Jones did turn 32 in, in February. He's obviously had the long list of injuries, but he remained one of the best receivers in the NFL when he was healthy last season. Third in yards per target, fourth in yards per route run among 87 qualifying wide receivers. It's now joining this Titans passing game that, as we've said, has been super efficient. The, the concern is just... Atlanta was so pass leaning. So they they ranked eighth in pass rate and fourth in pass attempts last season. Tennessee ranked 30th in both of those categories. We do expect Tennessee to throw it more, but they're not going to throw it as much as uh, Atlanta has. So, you know, when, when Jones was traded from Atlanta to Tennessee, his target projection took a a pretty decent sized hit. Yeah. He's going in round four right now. I mean, could he deliver from there? Sure. Uh, A.J. Brown, though, has performed like an alpha the past two years. I was excited about him for Fantasy Outlook before Julio arrived. I still want to like him, but there has not been a whole lot of lowering on A.J. Brown's price since then. He remains inside the top eight in ADP at the position, still going around the 2-3 turn. So like with Tannehill, I think A.J. Brown will remain an above-average producer on the efficiency stand front, uh, on the efficiency front, but... I mean, betting on a player to do that early in your draft has been a good way to get yourself into trouble in building a fantasy roster. Yeah, that, that's fair. And, that, you know, that's why I was off A.J. Brown last year. I think, you know, you were as well at cost, and that obviously turned out to be wrong. Like At some point, if a guy starts to be that efficient year over year, you just have to start to expect it. And, you know, with Brown, it's still only been two seasons. You don't expect him to be as efficient this season, but – um, you know, I, I still think he's going to see more targets this year than he did last year. Again, the Titans lost a combined 192 targets uh, with Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, and Johnny Smith leaving. Julio's obviously not going to soak up all of those, so I think there's room for you know Brown's target share to still climb. Plus, again, you know we, we expect Tennessee to throw it a bit more, so I think he'll set a new career high in targets. Um, my concern with A.J. Brown is the, the knee surgeries he had in January, and he still was sidelined in uh, spring practices. So you know, we'll have to see if he's ready to go for the start of training camp. I wish he were consistently going in round three, then I would take some A.J. Brown as it is. I think I'm kind of resting on my early shares on him. I, you know, if all things go right, this could certainly be a D.K. Metcalf, Tyler Lockett kind of duo, even if the team is not among the league leaders in passing volume, which we certainly don't expect. But you know, I don't, I don't have any idea what the target volume picture actually looks like under mm-hmm. the new OC with these two wideouts. I, I guess between them, I'm a little bit more worried about passing on Julio Jones at his price than A.J. Brown at his price right now. But I, I, I'm clearly not worried enough that I'm actually targeting either of them at the moment. Yeah, and Brown gets into the third 
in plenty of drafts. And I, and I do like him, you know, in the early to mid third round. I'm not finding myself interested in any other Tennessee pass catchers. There was some fantasy buzz on Anthony Ferkser early in the offseason. There's been no Titans buzz on him that I've seen so far. No, I mean, I, I do think he's going to be their lead pass catching tight end. He's actually been efficient when he's gotten opportunities behind John Ru Smith. Um, and Ferkser had two big games last year um, when Smith was out or left early. Uh, Smith was out in week 13. Ferkser went uh, five catches for 51 yards on seven targets. So I, I guess a big game was overstating that one. But then he did have a big game in week six when Smith left that one early. Ferkser had eight catches for 113 yards and a score. Um, again, John New Smith leaves behind 65 targets. Julio probably picks up some of those, but you know th- there's room for for Ferkser to you know get into that 60, 70 target range. And you know that that's enough where I, he he might struggle for reliable weekly value in lineup setting leagues. But I do think he's a decent like lower end tight end two target in best balls. Yeah, and he was climbing earlier in draft season where he you could find him in the mid teens, but right now he's tight end 24. Uh, fine from there. I certainly see the upside from there. My concern is that. They were already playing it as a committee at tight end, even when Johnu Smith was there. And I think he's a much bigger talent than Anthony Ferkser. So I don't see any reason to believe that Anthony Ferkser is going to take over as a clear lead tight end here. And if I don't get a limited guy like Anthony Ferkser as the clear lead tight end when I'm setting my lineups, I'm just not that interested. Who else do they have there? I'm trying to look it up right now. I think they have like Jeff Swaim. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they have Jeff Swaim, Tommy Hudson, Jared Pinkney. I mean, there, there's a chance that you know they just kind of can't go committee and, and, and Ferks or sees the majority of the tight end targets. I mean, there's a chance, but last year we were like, they got Johnny Smith and then what Anthony Ferks or Jeff Swaim. I mean, they've got to throw the ball to Johnny Smith. Yep. That's fair. <laughs> back to running back notes. Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry. There's a new offensive coordinator. He says it's no secret that getting the, getting Derrick Henry, the ball is a key to this offense. Derrick Henry has led the league in carries rushing yards and rushing touchdowns, two straight seasons. I would say he certainly remains the best bet to lead all three of those categories. The problem there though, and you know, it's a a problem only when you're deciding whether to draft him where you need to do so. Even if he delivers in all of those categories, once again, relying on rushing touchdowns as much as he does increases the week to week volatility in season. So you could look at his numbers at the end of the year and Derrick Henry could have delivered once again, but within the season, he might have lost you a couple of matchups versus the other top running backs. So yeah. Looking at last year, for example, Dalvin Cook posted top 24 scores in all 14 of his games. James Robinson, Alvin Kamara did so in 13 games apiece. They missed three combined games. Aaron Jones did so in 12 of 14 games. Derrick Henry did so in 12 of 16 games. So, I mean, not bad, but that's a rate of 75%. That's a rate just below what Miles Gaskin did, for example. So, you know, again, Derrick Henry is among the top running backs no matter what measure you want to go by. But when you're weighing him versus Dalvin Cook, Zeke Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley in the middle of round one, I think there's more week-to-week volatility with Derrick Henry. Yeah, and those are all PPR numbers you were referring to, right? Which yeah. you know is obviously where where Henry gets hurt because you know he's just he's he's not. It's it's past time just to, to you know be banking on him. You know, getting a big role in the passing. He actually did set career highs last year in targets and catches, but he still ranked 38th among running backs in targets. He was 45th among running backs in catches. So, you know, especially with Julio Jones there now, it, it, that that's just not going to change. But you know, Henry, as you said, remains you know probably the best bet to lead the NFL in rushing yards, in rushing touchdowns. Um, he's had a boatload of carries, but he's just been remarkably durable. He's only missed one game um, over the past couple seasons now. Um, his O-line might be better, too, this year. They get Taylor Luan back, who um, went down with a torn ACL last October. They added a, a tackle in the second round of the draft. Um, so, you know, again, Henry should dominate on the ground. It's just the lack of pass catching kind of keeps him out of that top-tier PPR. And non-PPR, I think, you know, he's, he's you know, at, at least the, the, the third guy off the board behind McCaffrey and, and Delvin Cook. Yeah, so I'd see him in that range in non-PPR. And uh, hey, if you're looking for, if you're playing in a format where you need big December, uh, Derrick Henry in December is a better bet than Santa Claus is in December. Sure is. There's been some slight buzz lately on Darrington Evans. He worked with receivers, Travis Etienne style and OTAs. I just think that the upside on Darrington Evans is low volume Naheem Hines, and that doesn't strike me at all as interesting. Yeah, I mean, his best case is playing like the role Deion Lewis played in 2019. And, you know, Lewis wasn't really a fantasy factor that season, even as Tennessee's lead pass catching back. And then even as I I, I don't think Evans is 
a Derrick Henry handcuff. Brian Hill might be the better Derrick Henry handcuff. He's just that big back who is more similar. You know, neither guy is anywhere close to Derrick Henry, but Hill is at least more similar in size and playing style. So I, I think if Henry misses time, it'll be a committee with, with Hill and, and Darrington Evans. Yeah, maybe Evans leads the team and carries if Derrick Henry were to go down, but I agree. I think that he would be sharing that job, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's Brian Hill or you know somebody else that's not even on the roster yet who would actually lead that backfield in carries were Derrick Henry to go down. So I just don't see the path to Darrington Evans being all that helpful fantasy asset. Agreed. Who do you like among tight ends at cost right now? I hate to say it, but I don't I don't have any like hot takes on the Titans. I think a lot of guys are just like properly valued. We talked about Tannehill at quarterback 11, the the AJ Brown and Julio Jones are kind of fairly valued. Derrick Henry is going about ratio. I mean, Henry is a guy I, I still just don't end up with much of in these, you know, full PPR drafts I'm doing, but again, I can't really argue against him. I do think he's, you know, one of the safer picks at running back. All right, we're going to end this in lockstep because I haven't found myself drafting that many Titans so far and not because I hate them, but because they're the good options are just at least appropriately priced. So I'm not finding them dropping to a level where they look like values. And then I have to reach a little bit if I want to make sure to get them. I think I probably like Ryan Tannehill best at cost, you know, among the top four on this team. But again, not somebody that I think is a screaming value at QB 11 overall. And Derrick Henry, I'm going to make sure that I don't head into the season with no Derrick Henry in these best ball lineups, but at the range where he's going, I'm much more often taking the other players that I'm comparing him with. Dalvin Cook is my lock pick at number two behind Christian McCaffrey. And then Ezekiel Elliott has just been climbing up and up and up through draft season. I think he's probably third on my board right now. Yeah, again, just to bring it back to the top of the Titans section with the coaching change, I'm I'm just a bit worried what this offense is, is going to look like without Arthur Smith. We'll see. That, that's just kind of in the back of my head when I'm whenever I'm considering drafting Titans. Mm-hmm. That's going to do it for this AFC South preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can see the projections for every player that we discussed on here, plus every other fantasy-relevant player on offense and on defense. We've also got new articles hitting the site basically every day at this point. That'll keep going throughout the season. You can join the free DraftSharks Discord channel on mobile or desktop. Lots of buzz there already. I've had to try to ignore the notifications constantly on my phone during this show. So jump in there, talk to us about whatever you want. Pick the brains of some some high-stakes players that have already joined us in that discussion. And coming soon, I mean, we've got a supercharged DraftSharks.com coming up. So you're going to want to keep an eye on everything going on at DS. As always, you can find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smoll and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 